study and this uh, little book. I am going to read the first verse of chapter 3 down through verse 11. And I'll read the next, we'll save the next for this next Lord's Day. Please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. As is often the case in the Bible, they stood out of respect for the Word of God. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy, uh, courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have been believed, those who have believed in God, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, uh, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. As we approach the end of our study, there will be one more sermon this next Lord's Day, and that will be it for the study in the book of Titus. Um, It is a personal book that Paul wrote, a personal letter that Paul wrote to this man, Titus, the fellow he left on the island of Crete to minister to the people that were there. And I think if you look at the summary of the book, the overall concern of the Apostle Paul was the church was to be godly. The people of God are to be holy. And so as he writes this, uh, he brings this uh, to the forefront of his teaching and he brings it to the forefront of the responsibility of Titus. Uh, the Bible uh, is filled with practical guidelines for Christian living. Uh, a life that is pleasing to God, we learn to do that from the Gospels, from the Scriptures, and only from the Gospels, only from the Scriptures. It is instructive in progressive sanctification. It is instructive to us in times of need of comfort. It's instructive for us, of course, in the means of salvation, which is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In uh, chapter 2, in verses 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That is the purpose or the overall goal of the Apostle Paul in writing this letter to Titus. Remember, Titus was pastoring several churches in Crete. These people that are converted are newly converted. They are steeped in paganism. And so he is having to instruct them and bring them out of pagan thought and bring them into biblical doctrine. 
I listened to three sermons, three different sermons of different individuals, and it was interesting how each one of these preachers uh, dealt with a different aspect of it, and there are three different outlines, three different approaches to the text. I listened to Ian Hamilton. Ian Hamilton spent a great deal of time talking about the eldership and elders in the church. Uh, that's in the next section. Uh, John MacArthur's outline is this, the last word on false leaders, the last word on fractious people, the last word on fellow servants, the last word on faithful friends. I give you that in order that it may help bring the text together for you as we go through it. Alistair Begg spent a great deal of time to, uh, talking about the necessity of vo- avoiding worthless controversies, which does not mean to avoid controversies which are stirred up because of truth. And we're going to look at that this morning as well. I think that should have been said, and I uh, appreciate the fact that he said that. Last week, you remember, I uh, hope, that we said the gospel of Jesus Christ is discriminatory. That is, it divides God's people from the rest of the world. Uh, it is uh, labor-oriented, which we are to be working And it is well uh, beneficial, as he said, that these things we are to do good things, and those things that we do are to help the well-being of others. This morning, as we go through this text, I pray you listen, and I pray God applies it to us. We see this, that we are to avoid engaging in worthless controversies because engaging in them is dangerous to the well-being of the church. Argument for the sake of argument is never good in the church. Three things this morning, dealing with those in the church who are creative, and that is creative in their theology, making it up, uh, dealing with those who are contentious, and dealing with those who are condemned. God takes a great interest in his church. Do you take a great interest in the church of God as well? You worship here. Many of you are members here. This is where you are fed, at least you should be fed, the scriptures and the God's word. Are you aware that God takes a great deal of interest in you, your attitude, your actions, your work in the church, and then your daily Christian living? And then the first place, dealing with those who are theologically creative in the church. Uh, there are those at the church in Crete that are emphasizing things either that have already been filled, fulfilled in the Old Testament law, or they distort the doctrines, and so the intent of the passage is poisoned. There are false teachers in the church. He talks about that in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Uh, not pilfering, but showing... I'm sorry, that's not the right uh, 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain that which ought not to be taught. So there were uh, people in the church in Titus's day that were teaching false doctrine. And this is not anything new for the church. Uh, there was Simon, uh, the magician. You remember in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, he was uh, said of him that uh, he was called uh, the power of God that is called great. He was converted under the preaching of, I think it was Peter. After the conversion, he saw Peter laying hands on people and giving the Holy Spirit to people by that. And he offered to buy that from them. He asked if he could buy that gift from them. And you remember what Peter said to him. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God by by the use of money. Simon is what that is called today. And the buying and selling of ecclesiastical privileges. And, of course, this was something that was horrendous and wrong. 
And the man goes on to continue. I don't think his conversion was true if you read about him in history. Uh, Menander, a Samaritan as well, uh, he renounced the message from the, uh, he declared himself a messenger of an unknown power. Uh, he believed that, uh, that according to him, no one could be saved unless they were baptized in his name. Uh, he said was, uh, that he was the true resurrection so the disciples would enjoy immorality even in this life. And you recognize the heresy. Serenthus was another one who taught. He denied God created. He denied the deity of Christ. He said that Jesus was became the Messiah at the baptism. And before he died, the Jesus spirit left him and left him to die, which we know that is absolute uh, heresy in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the church in Crete, there was a problem among some who were there teaching doctrines that did not belong in the church. The plumb line for everything we believe and everything we teach is the Bible. We must insist upon following the scriptures. We must insist we don't vary from the Bible. There are, there are challenges to our denomination today. And those challenges have to be met with what the scriptures teach. Is it proper for the PCA to ordain a man who says he is same-sex attraction. Is that proper to ordain him? Well, that's the debate. That's the discussion. And where does the answer to that come from? It comes from the Scriptures. It comes from the Word of God. And not to be cruel and not to be mean or anything of that nature, but we must stand upon what God's Word teaches us, and there only are we to stand. Martin Luther said, Here I can stand, I can do no other. Well, in this section of the book of Titus, he lays out um, uh, uh, categories of this false doctrine, foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels concerning the law. Now, this is something that, uh, that Alistair Begg emphasized. The other two did not. I do not know why, but that's this. Uh, that uh, controversies that he forbids are foolish controversies. Not all controversies. He does not instruct Titus to avoid all controversies, but foolish controversies. You think of this. The Reformation was born out of controversies. John Huss, the Bohemian reformer. Uh, Martin Luther, rebelling against the church. John Calvin. You remember uh, Bishop Ridley and Latimer, Hugh Latimer. Uh, they were burned at the stake by Queen Mary, and he said this when they were about to be burned. Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust will never be put out. Thomas Cranmer later on was, was burned at the same location. And Thomas Cranmer had renounced the faith. He had signed pieces of paper where he would please those in power. And they burned him, and as they burned him, he's lest he stuck his hand out into the fire consume it first because he had used that hand to sign the documents whereby he renounced Christ and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, none of these doctrines are foolish. None of them are. At the heart of the controversy was this. How is a man made right with God? And you remember it was justification by faith through Christ and Christ alone are we made right with God. In our works, no matter how fond you are of them, no matter how you think perhaps you're great in doing them, do not contribute one iota to your salvation. God is pleased with them. 
And we do them, what's the first question of the catechism? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So the works that we do in the church and for the church should be for God's glory and for God's glory alone. Well, these were not controversial uh, in the sense of being foolish at all. You remember the, the five solas of the Reformation? The sola scriptura, sola fide, sola Christus, sola gracia, sola dea gloria. Well, these doctrines are not by any means foolish, but they are the heart of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they are all essential. And these things were being challenged. And that we knew they knew that salvation came not simply from faith in Christ, but from things we did. And that's not, of course, true at all. So he says he's devoid these uh, foolish controversies of disputes, questions that cannot be answered, questions that we really don't need to ask even. Some things are simply none of our business as to why God does some of the things that he does. It's not our affair. What are we to do? As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the just shall live by faith. We live in trust of God's goodness. And God's wisdom, who has instructed the mind of the Lord, the answer is no one. Who has been his counselor, the answer is no one. So when God in his providence works, we trust in God's grace and goodness. Genealogies, there were speculations about the origins of people. They were going back into the Old Testament and putting these things together and giving them some kind of religious significance that they did not have. Uh, dissensions, quarrels about the law. Uh, it's very likely that the Old Testament patterns of the practices were being encouraged. And it, he deals with that in Colossians 2, 16 and 18. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things that come to come, but not the substance, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so apparently there were some who were being encouraged to, they have to participate in these Old Testament rituals. He says, don't let people judge you on that. Don't let them insist that you observe these things. He says, because they were shadows of the things to come, the substance belongs to Christ. And of course, the one that was constant was circumcision. Gentiles were not circumcised. The Jews were saying, you've got to do this. We did it for centuries and centuries. You've got to do this. If you, yeah, Christ is good. But if you really want to be saved, you really, really want to please God, you have to be circumcised. And so you see what that is. It's a work salvation. So it's likely, very likely, when Paul talks about this, about the quarrels, about the law, one of the chief ones was that of circumcision. Well, these practices are to be avoided. These things are not to be engaged in. Why? He says they are unprofitable. The things that we should disagree about or argue about, doctrine. And not our doctrine. As Presbyterians, we have a great legacy to stand upon. As Charles said earlier, that uh, is part of our Constitution, the Catechism. The confession of faith that we believe expand on or at least explain in many ways the doctrines of Scripture. So we take stands where the gospel is at stake. At other times we don't take stands and sometimes we simply don't know what is the best thing. 
Uh, here's a question. Do you tithe the net or do you tithe the gross? Do you tithe the money that the government takes away from you or do you tithe what you actually get from the government? I'll argue with somebody about that. It doesn't make it clear in Scripture. We rest with that. We are to be faithful in tithing. And I personally think that's the starting point, what we give to the church. But you can't argue over something like that, at least in my opinion. I know Dr. Piper's opinion is different from mine. Joey's not right about everything. So then... um, Dealing with those who are creative in their doctrine and theology. The next one is dealing with those who are contentious. This group of people, is, they're not teaching things that are not true. They're not teaching anything at all, as a matter of fact. They are not teachers in the church, but they are troublemakers. They cause disruption by their insistence on trivial matters. The Greek in the 10th verse, the Greek word in the 10th verse, starts out with the word... Hera Tikan. Heretikon. Heretic. We get the word heretic from that word. And uh, it's used nowhere else in the New Testament. Uh, and it is really signifying someone who creates a sect. And so this individual in the church is creating a sect by causing division. Separating one group from another. Separating one person for another from another. By things that simply are not important. The question here is not of doctrine. The question here is not how are we justified before God. The question is matters that are really not significant in the church. And you've got these individuals, as Paul describes them here, stirs up division. <coughs> stirs up trouble in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, They are to be warned. What's the description of these people? What would they be like? Somebody who does this in the first place would be arrogant. Very prideful. They'd be given to being pugnacious. Given to fighting. And they would be engaged in gossip. Rallying around the flag, rallying around my position. Is what they would be trying to do. They would want to have their way at the expense of the peace, purity, and unity of the church. He doesn't explain what they're doing here. All he says is that um, if a person asks for a person who stirs up division, there must have been people there doing that in the church. They creed, stirring up division. And Paul says, warn them. Warn them once. Warn them twice. They don't respond to the warning. Cut them loose. Things have to be dealt with in the church. They have to be. Things that are disrupting the purity of the church, the unity of the church, have to be dealt with. It is unwise and unhealthy not to deal with things that are causing disruption in the church. Which means we have to, I think especially if possible the leadership, be engaged in trying to correct things that are causing, and correct people that are causing trouble in the church. They are not to be ignored. 
They must be confronted. They must be dealt with. They must be disciplined. The last thing is dealing with those who are condemned. uh, Their conduct is contrary to the well-being of the church. And Paul says here that they are warped. They are subverted. Uh, Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That's what Paul says here. That those individuals who are trying to stir up problems in the church are warped and sinful. So they have to be dealt with. And Paul says here he is self-condemned. His own conscience tells him that what he's doing is wrong. If he's been instructed in the things of Christ, his own conscience lets him know that this is wrong. And it's either this, he knows what he's doing and he does it anyway, or by his actions, whether he understands it or not, he's condemned by God. And God greatly disapproves of this individual. The body of Christ is not many. It is in one sense. I see that frown. In another sense, it's not. We have many bodies as far as churches. You've got Christ the King. You've got Covenant. You've got Christ Church Katie. All these PCA churches and other churches as well that are part of the, uh, that have the gospel, the integrity of the gospel is preached and taught. And the practice of the church is as it should be before the mind and eyes of God. And many churches, many bodies spread throughout. But ultimately, in a local church, it's one body. We are united. Everybody has a different gift. Right? you got some here that preach. Some here that teach. Some here that have great compassion. And they comfort others. Some here that uh, are great at hospitality. Everybody has a different gift. And we are to use it for the good of the body of Christ. For the good of those who are around us in our worship service, and who are a part of this church. I wonder if you have heard the phrase, running a tight ship. Have you all heard that phrase? Are you with me? You know what it means? I'm going to tell you anyway. It started from what I read in the 19th century. And it had to do, the image of this, it's the ropes of the ship are tight. And the seams are well sealed. A tight ship that is capable and ready for sailing. It has come to mean something that is controlled and orderly and run strictly. Imagine for a moment that one person, I love sailing ships. I've never been, well, I've been on little sailboats, but those big wooden vessels, I've never, I would love to get on, take a ride on one of those. I think the Elisa, Elias, whatever it is down in Galveston, I'd love to get on that thing. But imagine that we're on that boat or one like that sailing, and there's one saboteur on board that is doing all he or she possibly can do to prevent us from reaching our port of call. One person can thwart the trip. A 
saboteur, cutting lines, whatever, messing with the tiller, whatever. One person can do enough damage to ruin the trip. Well, I would put before you that Christ runs a tight ship. He has set the direction. He has set the goals. He has given the mandates. And we are to follow those. The problem is the church is full of sinners. We're all sinners. Every one of us. We had a man here some years ago that would interrupt Sunday school classes over and over and over again. He did not believe that once we became Christians that we sinned. We were sinless. We became Christians. And I went to him in the first John chapter one, verse eight. Those who say they have no sin, the truth is not in them. They deceive themselves. And he had some sort of explanation for it as to why it didn't apply. Or I simply misunderstood it. He also thought that Jesus sinned until he was baptized. Those are heretical doctrines. And we had to deal with him. I went to lunch with him and talked to him. That didn't avail much. He finally, after it had just been enough, he was not going to comply. I said, the session wants to meet with you. He never came back. But he had to be dealt with. One person. Can you imagine? And he was teaching that to people in the church. Can you imagine if that got out? And people started believing that nonsense. It had to be dealt with. Well, in the church, in the ship, if you will, that Christ is selling to our home, our bound place is in heaven. We need to see to it that we do everything we possibly can to make sure our sailing is smooth and true and accurate. We need to remember this church is not our church. It's where you worship. You identify with Southwest Presbyterian Church. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you're here. But this is not your church. It's Christ's church. Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of this church. I know a fellow who went to a church here in Houston, and the people there thought the church was theirs, and they made the pastor's life miserable, and he didn't last long there. It was a bad deal. Christ is the head of the church. That will go a long way in helping us to behave ourselves as we should in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, again, this is Christ's church. It is also good to remember that this church was established for good purposes. Does all the time good come out of it? No. But it was established for the purpose of ministering the word of God, preaching the gospel, ministering the gospel, and ministering to one another. That's why it was established. And also we need to remember that God despises disruptions and divisions. Now, if I got up here and I said Christ is not the only way to get to heaven, y'all ought to storm the pulpit. 
and take me outside and shoot me. That's a serious matter to deny Christ is the only way to get to heaven. But it needs to be something along those lines where we dig in our heels and say, this can go no further. God despises disruptions, divisions brought on in the church by things that are not essential. We ask ourselves this question. If there is a problem in the church, instead of complaining about it, say, what can I do to fix it? What can I do to help this? What can I do to strengthen the church? Not tear it apart, not tear it down, but build it up because this is the church that belongs to Christ. And remember that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not all blood kin, we're spiritual kin. That's an even closer bond in my opinion. It's great to have blood kin that are also believers. In Mississippi, we're not sure who we're related to. When I got married, there were five, over 500 people in the building. They were all there from London, not me. And uh, someone said to me, the people there, half of them were her relatives, the other half were your relatives. We both grew up in that same town. So everybody knew us. I don't know why I said that. I'm not sure what it has to do with anything I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's it. So we are related to one another. Do this. Pray God would give you the grace to love the people at this church. Pray for that. Plead for that. You know, we get upset. We don't get our way. We get upset. Something happens. We don't like it. We get upset. But may it never be the doctrine that's being taught is unbiblical. May that never be the case here. Pray that God would give you the grace to love one another. Pray for one another along those lines. And again, pray, what can I do to make things stronger and better in the church here rather than weakening the church? I'll read it to you again. Ask for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. We are not the kind of members we should be, but the great story is, the great hope for us, the great comfort is Christ. He came, and you know, and I hope you believe, to die for us. So that as we stand before God, we're justified. Justified. Not guilty is the proclamation. Not guilty. By no means are we sin-free. If you think you are, ask your wife or husband, ask a friend. You're not sin-free. But we're justified. Praise God for our Savior and for the great work that he's done. Let's pray.